Welcome, Willow Park Church, to the Live Lounge. I'm so glad and delighted that you've come and joined us to worship together. Today, we've got a message from Pastor Glenn Madden, who will be sharing some thoughts from the Sermon on the Mount. Also, we've got an amazing interview about the South Art Project. Wow, it's going to be excellent. But what we really are praying is that through this time, God will speak to you. Prepare your heart that through the preaching of the word, and I want to remind you that the Bible promises that when we hear a sermon, a message, and we spend time in worship, God will speak to us. He promises that when his word goes out, it won't come back void. In other words, it's going to impact our lives if we are willing and available for God to speak to us. So at the beginning of this service, Willow Park Church, are you available for God to speak to you? I know that so many of you are, and I know that you desire to connect with God, to know God's presence, to know his power within your life. So we're going to begin our service right now. We pass the Curtis leading us in an opening song. And as we sing this song, which is Raise a Hallelujah, I want you to believe and to raise a hallelujah in your homes. Believe that God's blessing is upon your home. Believe that God is fighting for you, that God protects you, that God surrounds you, and that God is with you at this time. Because I know that God is with you, that God is around you, and he has even set the angels upon you, that the angels are about your house. Just remind that of yourself that God is with you at this time. So let's raise a hallelujah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me sacrifice with shouts of joy and I will sing and make music to the Lord I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody I raise a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me 
Hope will arise. 
Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining our live lounge today. And here is your family news. We are gathering for a very special night of prayer. This Monday night at 7 p.m. right here on Church Online or on Facebook Live. Be sure to tune in to Willow One Prayer as we pray about how our church moves forward in this time. Alpha is an opportunity to explore life, faith, and God with others. We are running two Alpha courses this month. The first is for senior high youth and young adults, and it's happening Sunday nights at 5 p.m. The other Alpha course is for adults, and it's happening Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. It's not too late to join in. For more information, visit our website at willowpartchurch.com alpha. Pursuit is live on Instagram every Sunday night at 7 p.m. This week, Jesse Stewart will be interviewing Ken Esau, who's a professor at Columbia Bible College, and the hot topic will be the nature of God. Follow at Pursuit Family on Instagram so you can be notified when we go live. Our final online youth nights are happening right here on Church Online this next week. Don't miss out! GLOW is for senior high youth, grades 9 to 12, and it's happening Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Junior high youth for grades 6 to 8 happens Thursday night at 6.30. Visit cahoots.ca for all of the details. Also, be sure to follow at cahootsyouth on Instagram to stay updated on what we'll be doing for youth throughout the summer. We know that during this time, it's still important to stay connected as a church family. That's why each of our campuses have online groups meeting throughout the week for Bible study, prayer, coffee hangouts, quiz nights, and more. Be sure to visit our website for all of the details on how to join in. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Welcome, Willow Park Church. Welcome to week six, episode six of Willow Park Interviews Missionaries While We Are in Self-Isolation. This week, we are interviewing Wendy Delcourt from the South Art Project. We're excited to hear about what all they do and uh, how maybe we can participate. So let's find out what she's talking about. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited um, to have you share with us your story and the story of SOAP. So can you tell us, I assume SOAP means South Art Project, but tell us about SOAP. Yes, it does mean self-art project, Jordan. Awesome. You got it. Good, yes. And um, I'm excited to talk about this outreach. It's been a beautiful thing. We're an expressive art studio that provides creative experiences for a multitude of people. And in those experiences, they make meaningful connections to their lives. And <clears throat> I've been doing this now for a couple of years and witnessing a lot of that. And someone's once said that the imagination is that sacred place where God meets us and reveals more of who he is. Mm. And so taking time in that imagination, in that creative space does incredible things in people's lives. So that's what we are. And that's we invite cool. anybody who wants to come. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. So what's maybe one thing that you've kind of seen um, kind of transpire over the COVID time or, or kind of stories that you want to share with us? Well, a regular group of clientele that comes to the South Art Project every week is now Canada. And now Canada is an organization that provides frontline services for women and children that are victim to exploitation, abuse, violence, addictions, and they suffer from mental or physical health challenges. Mm. So they, become, they come weekly. And, so, and, we, and now Canada supports this. And so when COVID hit, 
we were like, what? Like we can't stop playing with these incredible women every week. So we instantly called Glenn and said, can we at least get in the church to get supplies? And we started what's called Art Apart. And we have delivered prepackaged materials to create meaningful art during this time that gives us an opportunity to engage and to be creative and, and something for moms to do with their kids or to you know, reduce stress, to kind of get your head out of all this COVID, you know, messy stuff that can bring on different fears and whatever. So, and then we started the Art Apart Facebook page. So everyone posts their artwork and we have these chats and then we have a Zoom classroom. Like we do art together on a Zoom room on Mondays oh. and we share this and it's been amazing. It's been fantastic. And we have girls that have already graduated from now Canada that want to still come and do the art with us because oh. they love it. Yeah. yeah. And we had two really cool art stories that happened. I just have to tell you. Our um, projects is called A Moment of Beauty. And it's basically, basically a wire and clay sculpture that you create out of something that means something to you. And then you present the sculpture and tell the story. And we had one woman um, make this beautiful sculpture of a red dress. And it's, it, I didn't know there was a red dress movement honoring Indigenous women that had gone missing during that time and had lost their lives well we had learned that this woman that made this sculpture was a potential victim and actually was freed from that and was celebrating that that wasn't her story and then the last project this one is really cool it's yeah. called the mariposa lily project um yeah, yeah. we partnered with a canadian sculpture artist his name is mitchell chan Mm. Um, to make small model lily flowers resembling his design. He actually sculpted a mariposa lily for our interior health building that's going to be unveiled in Kelowna soon. Oh. Yeah. So, that's you know, awesome. we're going big, Jordan. Going big. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so yeah. cool. So, yeah. like, how does art connect people to people and to God and to Jesus? How does it all kind of come together with you guys? Well, the interesting thing, art, art has incredible healing qualities. Mm. It's an avenue to give voice to personal stories and dreams in a very safe and unique way. We had one girl make a mosaic and she couldn't tell the story in the longest time. And she ended up making a beautiful jasmine flower. But mm. that was the story of her sister that had passed away. But she came to peace with that story in this beautiful, and she was so proud. She said, I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I can't do this. And, <laughs> yeah. oh. and then she just made this incredible mosaic. And it's just awesome to see. It's, yeah. yeah. And that opens up conversations for people to be like, oh, this is what happens here. And then yeah. how their story comes. And then you can say, look, Christ can come in and heal. It's beautiful. Well, oh. and creation, creator. Yeah you're creating yeah. does that yeah. not directly relate yeah. to your creator yeah. Yeah. so how can we then pray for you pray for soap pray for soap south art project and uh, and participate partner with you all that kind of fun stuff well we love that this creative culture is getting nurtured in our church community um but just that it continues to be supported because it's a big part of our brain health and our spiritual health like it's yeah. it's, it's pivotal for that and mental health and trauma and all that is a big part of our community. Our story is, our, it's, that's weaved through our story of Kelowna. And that we continue to build this community through deepening relationships. Like the power part of this, this is, this is naturally unfolding. We're sitting beside one another, enjoying something and a relationship is emerging naturally, authentically. And mm -hmm. those connections are being made and trust is being built. And 
we have lifelong friends. We've got artists helping girls move in now Canada. We've got people texting us that are out of the program. Like they yeah. stay in touch with us. Awesome. Um, and that, that it's, it's love. That's really the priority here. Um, a lot of these women don't know what that looks like. And I hope as a church community that we can, we know that some of them, you know, some of them won't, don't like God. Some of them have stories that have made them not trust God. And the yeah. best way to show that is to love them and give yeah. them dignity and worth, yeah. you know? Yeah. Wow. Well, we'll say thank you, Wendy, for joining thank us. You. Thanks really for having me, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Wendy. That was great to talk to you. It was so much fun to hear about what all you're doing and uh, how God is doing some great things in some people's lives. If you want to find out more about the Self Art Project, check out this this email here, selfartproject at shaw.ca, and you get in contact with her or one of the volunteers there, and, uh, and maybe get yourself into an Art Apart series. Sounds fun. Anyways, God bless. I just love hearing the stories about the South Art Project. I remember when Wendy came and spoke to me and to the board and shared the vision with Pastor Glenn about the power of art in mission to impact lives. Isn't it wonderful? And that beautiful point where she made about the creator creating and then the creator working and creating something beautiful in our lives. It's amazing. And the question I have for you as we go into worship is, through this time of pandemic, are you actually letting the creator Create something beautiful in your life. Are you open to God? Are you willing to connect with God? You see, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us at this time is this. I believe across the church is that he wants his church to come in alignment with the heart of God in our nation. This is not a surprise to God, this pandemic. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is God trying to do with the church in Canada? I've been thinking about this verse, and it's really struck me as a kind of prophetic verse about this season. Others have said this as well. It's from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 14. It says, blessed is the one who always trembles before God. Now that doesn't sound very positive, always trembles before God. But actually, in the Hebrew, this means blessed is the one who is tender towards God, who is tenderized, who is willing to allow the Lord to work on his heart and to do something remarkable. Because it's so easy for all of us to become hard-hearted. It's so easy for us to become rigid in our beliefs. But what the Holy Spirit wants to do through this time to the church in Willow Park Church and across Canada is he wants to make us tender again to his call. He wants to tenderize us. Now that sounds a bit brutal, I know, but I kind of see it like a slow cooker. We make ourselves available. We place ourselves in the arms of the Father and as we commune with him, he, he makes us soft he takes away our rigidness. He brings us into alignment with him. We humble ourselves. It's what uh, Psalms 139 talks about. It's about how God examines our hearts. And I know that we're all in danger of gaining a 
hard heart. And we need to have this process of, as, as it says in verse 14 of chapter 28 of Proverbs, blessed is the one who always trembles before God. Blessed is the one who humbles, who is overwhelmed, who allows the Holy Spirit to make him tender, that he will come and meet with us. The end of the verse says, but whoever hardens their hearts falls into trouble. And one of the ways of which the Holy Spirit works in our lives is through worship. And as we listen to worship, and as we pray, and as we engage, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to, to make us tender, to come and to soften us, to bring us into line with what God is doing at this time with our church. And I will be talking a lot more about that at Willow One Prayer. We'll be talking about the future journey and where we're going. But for now, I want to pray that as we enter worship, that the Lord will make your heart tender and soft and that he will work within you and that you and I will come into alignment with Christ. Father, right now, I thank you for the opportunity to worship and I thank you that you are always making the way for us. I thank you for John the Baptist who made a way for the Lord, crying in the wilderness. And we pray now that as we start to worship, that in our own hearts, we will open our life up, we'll humble, we'll be tender, we'll allow you to move in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that through this worship, you will come and minister to us powerfully in the name of Jesus. And bless every home, every person where this online worship is flowing to, that they may know the glorious presence of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Way maker, miracle worker, 
promise keep light in the darkness my god that is who you are you are way make miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my god that is who you
Waymaker, keeper of promises, light in the darkness. That is who you are, the cornerstone of our lives, the rock that we build our faith on.
church family. In a moment here, we're going to take communion. I invite you to go grab your emblems while I just share a quick thought um, as we enter into communion. This past week, my wife and I, we've been chatting a lot about remembering. We've been looking back to last year around this time and recognizing we were just about to move into our new place. And so as we're sitting there and we're chatting about, you know, all the things we went through to get into our new home, um, the anxiety that was there even before, not knowing what was going to happen, there's this deep appreciation that just became the flood over us. Um, just being thankful for this house. You look at a wall and you don't see just scrapes anymore. You just see, I'm just glad I have walls and I can live in a house. And so something begins to change in us when we remember the good things. We remember what Christ has done. We remember how he came through. But then we also remember beforehand what it was like. As we partake in communion, we're remembering what Christ has done in our lives. It becomes more real. It becomes more intimate. There's this thankfulness that just begins to shower and pour upon us. Because we remember what it means to us. And then we remember what we were like before. And we're so thankful that he came to die on the cross for us. Before we partake, I just want to take a moment. Let's remember. Remember what he's done. Remember maybe where you were before you came to know Christ. Remember those situations where he showed up in a mighty way and you're so thankful because that redeeming power, that resurrection power showed up in a mighty way in your life. Let's never forget the art of remembering, especially remembering what Christ has done. Let's just take a moment. Luke 22, 17, it says, After taking the cup, 
He gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this in remembrance of the one who's come to save. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take this in remembrance of his blood poured out for us. Heavenly Father, we want to be in constant remembrance of you. Lord, of what you've done on the cross. Lord, we want to remember each and every day of your goodness towards us, of your love towards us. Lord, because it softens our heart. Lord, it makes it moldable, it shapes us, and it, it directs us, Lord, to you and what you have for your kids and what you have for the kingdom at hand. Lord, I don't want to forget what you've done in my life. Because when I see of the goodness, I can share of the goodness. And Lord, we want to be people who share of the goodness of Christ. And so let's remember daily your body broken and your blood shed for us. Amen.
Jesus, Messiah. Wow. Hallelujah. As we come out of worship, I really do pray that your heart has become tender towards the Lord. That you have taken time to connect with him. This is the moment when we talk about the offering. But what I want to do as we step into this offering moment is I want to pray for you. I don't know where you're at in your family life, in your personal finances, or in your journey. There's two things. First of all, I want to pray that God will bless you. Maybe you're looking for a new job. You're looking for a new opportunity. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your finances. And I believe that the Lord wants to help you with wisdom and guide you with your money and with your finances. Maybe there's a level of anxiousness about what is taking place in your life. I want to pray that God will bless you. The second thing I want to ask you is, will you pray about what God is asking you to do in terms of giving and a response to him? You see, to give is an act of worship. It's an act of honoring God. That's why it's so important to us who have an intimate relationship with Jesus that we are able to give to an audience of one. Let me pray. Father, right now I want to pray for every person that is watching. And Father, I pray for those families, individuals who are struggling financially through the COVID-19 crisis. Wow, Lord. We think of the unemployment figures, both here and around the world. The figures are shocking. And so, Lord, I pray for all those that have been laid off, for those that are struggling to work, that those that are unable to work because of the sector where they work in. And I pray that you will be with them at this time. That you will 
provide for them, that you will bless them, that you will bring provision to them, that you will bring that moment of manna from heaven that will feed them. Those quails will appear in the wilderness that will bring sustenance. I pray, Lord, for all of your children at this moment who are asking for help. I pray that you'll bless their prayers. I pray, Lord, that you'll provide for their families. I pray that you alleviate the burden of debt in their life. I pray for new jobs, new opportunities, new doors to be opened for individuals and families in Jesus' name. I pray that all fear will lift, evaporate, and that faith and peace will come into our hearts. And Father, we say to you as we bring this offering that we want to celebrate you and we give because you have given so much to us. We bring in our offering to you. And Father, I pray that for each one as they bring their offering today, that Lord, you will, you will bless them in many, many ways. Father, thank you for faithfulness of your church. And thank you for the call that you've placed on us to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world. We want to celebrate your goodness in our lives. So bless this offering we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's that time, kids. Courtney's going to come with a story. I know you're in for a great time. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about the Sermon on the Mount. And then Pastor Glenn will preach afterwards from the first four verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And I know God will speak if we've got a tender heart. Thanks, Phil. This week is our first week on our sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. So I have a story for you called The Singer about the Sermon on the Mount. Wherever Jesus went, lots of people went too. They loved being near him. Old people, young people, all kinds of people came to see Jesus. Sick people, well people, happy people, sad people, worried people, lots of them worrying about lots of things. What if we don't have enough food or clothes Or suppose we run out of money. What if there isn't enough and everything goes wrong and we won't be all right? What then? When Jesus saw all the people, his heart was filled with love for them. They were like a little flock of sheep that didn't have a shepherd to take care of them. So Jesus sat them all down and he talked to them. The people sat quietly on the grassy mountainside and listened. From where they sat, they could see the blue lake glittering below them and little fishing boats coming in from a night's catch. The spring air was fresh and clear. See those little birds over there, Jesus said. Everyone looked. Little sparrows were pecking at seeds along this stony path. Where do they get their food? Perhaps they all have pantries all stocked up? Cabinets full of food? Everyone laughed. Who has ever seen a bird with a bag full of groceries? 
No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that because God knows what they need and he feeds them. And what about these wildflowers? Everyone looked. All around them, flowers were growing. Daisies, pure white lilies. Where do they get their lovely clothes? Do they make them? Or do they go to work every day so they can buy them? Do they have closets full of clothes? Everyone laughed again. Who's ever seen a bird putting on a dress? No, Jesus said. They don't need to worry about that because God clothes them in royal robes of splendor. Not even a king is that well-dressed. They had never met a king, but as they gazed out over the lake, glittering and sparkling below them, the hillsides dressed in reds, purples, and golds, they felt a great burden lift from their hearts. They could not imagine anything more beautiful. Little flock, Jesus said, you are more important than the birds, more important than flowers. The birds and the flowers don't sit and worry about things, and God doesn't want his children to worry either. God loves to look after the birds and the flowers, and he loves to look after you too. Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he had made. Everything in it, birds, flowers, trees, animals, everything. And most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten. They still knew their song. It was the song all of God's creation had sung to him, from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. God made us. He loves us. He is very pleased with us. It was why Jesus had come into the world, to sing them that wonderful song, to sing it not only with his voice, but with his whole life, so that God's children could remember it and join in and sing it too. We are going to hear from Pastor Glenn in just one second all about the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope that you guys have a great week. Bye! Well, hi, everybody. It's great to be with you uh, this uh, weekend, and thank you to Courtney for sharing a beautiful story out of the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason we asked Courtney to share this story is over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be camping out on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, widely looked upon as the greatest sermon ever preached, because after all, it was preached by Jesus, the Son of God, but also looked upon as being a profound statement as to how life should actually be led. And, and so we're going to be looking at the Sermon Sermon on the Mount in some detail, and in the next two weeks, as intro to that, Pastor Phil and myself are going to break apart the few verses right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. So feel free to head there right now as I give a bit of an introduction as to where we're going to go this morning. So I'm going to ask a question, uh, or I'm going to make a statement that we, we're, going to, we're going to think about. We're going to think about over the next few minutes, and it's one that we actually think about all the time, and, it, and it's this, how to be happy. How do we get happiness in our life? And we're all common, whether you are a Christian listening to this, or whether you're somebody who's just exploring Christianity, and you might be not even in Canada, you might be in another part of the world. Really, as humans, we have this commonality that we want fulfillment, we want happiness. And, and so I did some research on the internet to see what uh, Mr. Internet says about how to be happy, and one particular article, in fact, I think it was the first one that popped up, came from the business magazine, Inc., and, and they made some suggestions. If you want to be happy, then you need to get outside more. 
That's a good suggestion. If you want to be happy, you need to uh, have some physical exercise. You want to spend time with your family. That, that really what you need to do is you need to fill in this gap. That, uh, that in order to be happy, you need to fill your life with something that, that makes you happy. Um, and that gap, if this thing happens to me, then I will be happy, is very circumstantial. It's, it's based on something maybe on the outside that might respond to something on the inside that makes you feel happy. If, if, I, if I was in a better relationship, then I would be happy. If I lived in that part of the world, then I would be happy. If I had that job, or if my bank account looked this way, or if my marriage was this way, or if my kids would be this way. And, and we look at all these things in our lives and we say, if that could be different, then I would be happy. If I could get this, then I would be happy. And it's very circumstantial. It's based on the happenings in our life, which is actually important because we get the word happens or happenings from the word happy. In other words, now bear with me, we are happy when what we want to happen happens. And we're not happy when something we don't want to have happen happens. So I've got a memory verse for you all. You ready? What happens to your happiness when what happens is not the happening that we want to have happen? Now, I said that really quickly, but actually not that quick because I knew that I wouldn't be able to get through the whole sentence really well. But there's a question. How happy are you when your happenings are not lining up with the way that you want them to happen? All right, so I need to stop saying happen so much because I'm going to start stumbling. But the basic principle is this. In a situation or a time or a circumstance when what is happening to you or what you are involved in or something that is going on around you is not what you would choose, are you still happy? Are you still feeling that joy? Are you still feeling that wholeness inside What makes you happy? Because it's actually a dangerous place to be in to rely on something on the outside of happening to, to change the way that we are on the inside. And so as you think about what it is that makes you happy, we we would often go to experts. We just looked at Inc. magazine, you know, that their writers, I'm sure, have done lots of research, and that's great. But there's an expert that is actually the speaker of the Sermon on the Mount. His name is Jesus who has a different point of view, a countercultural point of view. This expert Jesus would actually say that happiness is not rooted in your circumstances or your happenings. Your happiness is actually rooted in what your relationship with God is like. That's what Jesus would say. Now, as a Christian church, we're always looking to what Jesus says, what his teachings are, what he says, because we believe in his words there is life, there is eternity, there is hope. But Jesus actually is giving us some really practical ways to actually see happiness happen in our lives. And the first thing that you're going to see all the way through the Sermon on the Mount is your happiness, your fulfillment, your joy, your security, your peace. All those things that we strive after are not based on you getting something or having something or experiencing something. It's based on your relationship with God. That's the, that's the thesis that, that Pastor Phil and I are going to, going to break apart in the next couple of weeks. What are these things that Jesus says need to have happen in your life? What are these things that he says actually are the root of happiness? And here's the test. And I want you just to 
think about this. Maybe it's something you, you write down or you rewind and rewatch this little bit again. Here, here's the test. How, if your happenings didn't change at all, if your circumstances didn't change, if you were going to stay in the exact spot you are right now, your bank account is not going to increase, your body is not going to improve, your health is not going to improve, your relationships are not going to improve, that that thing that you want to have removed out of your life or added into your life, that doesn't change, could you be happy with life? Could you be happy if nothing was ever to change in the circumstances around you? And trust me, Jesus actually speaks from experience because Jesus didn't have any of those things to make him happy. He was single. He experienced abandonment. He experienced betrayal. He experienced abuse. He was misunderstood. He had all these things happening. And yet, right at the end of his life, he went to the cross and the Bible tells us that even though he was on the cross, it says for the joy in Hebrews, it says this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. That even in a tragic circumstance, he was still feeling joy and happiness. He had something different that wasn't based on the circumstances around him. So what we're going to do over the next few minutes and then next week, we're going to look at eight statements if you like, you could say that it's kind of Jesus Inc. magazine, the Bible, that's going to tell us about happiness. And I want you to really consider and think through. And on Monday, you, you want to join us as we're praying together as a church. I want you to meditate and think through. What is it that truly makes you happy? Is your life oriented towards something that will truly make you happy? Or are you relying on a certain happening to make you happy? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. And we're going to look at a few verses really quickly. And I'm going to go quite quickly, but you can always, again, you can watch it again and, uh, and meditate on these verses in your own time. So this is Jesus seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This word blessed, you see this on the internet a lot, hashtag blessed. You know, uh, you see it on Instagram and you see it on Facebook, I'm just so blessed, this is so wonderful. And, and actually that's not a bad use of the word because that word is actually in, in the Greek literally means happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. When Jesus was saying these statements and used these words in, the, in, in his own language, the people who were listening to him would have understood that this word blessed had a very peculiar meaning. It meant that you had a happy heart, a heart blessed by God, a heart made happy by God because you were experiencing God's blessing and favor in your life. So God's blessing and favor and happiness and, and wholeness and all those good things, that is given to those who are poor in spirit. And we're going to come to that sentence in a second, but I just want to give you a little, uh, a little clue as to how Jesus is going to approach these statements, because this is so important. So please notice and listen to what I'm about to say. And it's actually tied up with where he gave this sermon. It says he went up on the mountain. Jesus never did anything by accident. Why was he on a mountain? Because what he's doing is linking his sermon to the Ten Commandments. 
Now, the Ten Commandments was given by Moses, uh, sorry, by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And, uh, and this was just a picture I found on the internet. This isn't the actual image of Moses giving, uh, he actually looks really angry and he's got really impressive forearms. Um, he's got the Ten Commandments there and they were given to the, uh, the tribe of Israel, to the people of God, after they came out of Egypt. Not before, not while they were in Egypt, but after. Why is that significant? It's significant because the commandments that God gave the people to follow were not given to them while they were still in slavery. They wouldn't be able to fulfill the commandments that God gave them while they were in slavery. They had to be freed by God so that they could fulfill his commands. And this is really important as we look at what Jesus says and these eight principles or these eight signs of happiness, he's giving them as a sign on the mountain because what he's saying is this. If you look at these eight things as a list of things to do, you're going to fail. Because you need freedom in God. You need to be in right relationship with God in order to be able to be truly blessed and fulfill these things that bring blessing in our lives. Let me say it again. You cannot do these eight things. You cannot live these eight things out. You cannot be truly blessed and favored and happy unless you first experience freedom in God. That's why he gave it on the mountain. So it's like Jesus, who's a better Moses, giving us a set of principles. How to be happy. These, if you fulfill these, you are going to be happy. How do you truly fulfill them? By actually being in right relationship with God. Otherwise, they become a list of things to do. And with any list of things to do, if you fail on any of those lists of things to do, you're going to be filled with guilt and shame. If you're just approaching these from sheer grit and self-will, you're going to fail. You will be empowered by God to be blessed by His Spirit in you through your belief in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, you can truly, truly be blessed. So let's jump into the very first one. Through relationship with God, what does that look like? So number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, first of all, we can all relax. This word poor has got nothing to do with finance. It's got nothing to do with money. It's actually got something to do with with something that is even closer to our heart. This idea of being poor in spirit. You're going to be happy if you are poor in spirit. So what does this mean? What is Jesus saying? And there's a reason why he starts off with this beatitude. He's starting off with this statement that is intrinsic in the success of all the others. If you don't get this one right, if you don't get your life planted on this principle, then all the others become impossible. So what is it? It's this, that you need to recognize that you need God and that without him you are poor. You are not rich. You don't have richness of life. You are not self-sufficient. You are not able. You are not capable without God to live a happy life. We don't like that idea. Our whole culture is planted on the idea that you are enough, you are self-sufficient, you are rich, you are everything you need, you just dig in and believe yourself, you're going to get there in the end. And that sounds great until it doesn't work. Jesus counterculturally says this, you want to go up, you've got to go down. You want to have richness, you've got to become poor in spirit. You want to be truly happy, you need to recognize that outside of God you cannot be 
uh, happy in and of yourself. You are not up to the task. You are not in control. You need God. You need to start with, I can't do this. I can't do this. And maybe you're already there. Maybe there's some circumstance in your life that you are struggling with, some crises that has has hit you, some health situation, some money situation. You need to start from the point you go, I can't do this. I need help. I am not sufficient. And that recognition that you're not enough is the first step towards freedom and happiness. That you're not enough. And it's countercultural. Because our culture would say you are enough. That you have everything you need in here. So I've shared this story I'm going to give you as an illustration before. And, and um, I certainly shared it at the South. And it's, it's caused a few, a few giggles. But it's actually a really good example of what I'm talking about. And it surrounds something uh, called a radiator. Now, this, is, this isn't my front room now. And it wasn't my, my uh, front room or lounge as we call it in Britain then. But about 20 years ago, we lived in this old house that looked nothing like this. And it was filled with radiators. And for those of you who may be a little younger or you don't know what a radiator is, that's our form of heating. And in the house, there's this system of hot water that goes around through pipes, fills a radiator, and often... And somewhat bizarrely, I'm sure there's a reason for it, they were often under windows, which doesn't really make too much sense. And ours, this particular radio that I'm talking about, was indeed underneath a window. Um, and, uh, but the house that we lived in was an old house. And the thing with radiators is they can rust from the inside and, and leak. And then they stop working and your house goes cold and it's not fun. So we were going through this process in this old house we lived in of replacing radiators and so one particular day it was a particular radiator's turn to get replaced and I'd become quite proficient at doing this I had all the tools I had the good mindset I knew what I was doing and I went into was our front room our dining room which is where Sarah and my wife did piano lessons and we had it set out really nicely it was a lovely room where her students would come in and it was great but it was a bit cold because the radiator was broken so what you do, is a process to it, and I won't go into great detail because it's pretty boring, but you turn these two valves and it isolates the radiator from the rest of the hot water system. If you don't do that, then the pressure of the hot water system comes through these pipes. That's not a good thing. And all this system is fed by a big tank that's constantly being filled in the attic or the loft as we call it in Britain. So I isolated the two valves and I had, you get a little bit of a a dribble coming out of one side sometimes because I had a little bucket and and I was kind of knelt here and and I started, I closed the valves and then there was a little tap underneath it where you can empty the radiator. But remember, it should just be a bit of a dribble and you could probably imagine what's coming up. I knelt there and I turned uh, the valves off And I started undoing the little valve underneath to empty the radiator. And it just gushed out. I'm talking Niagara force coming out of this radiator. Dirty black water started filling up the dining room. And I'm screaming. Now, listen, I haven't got a particularly deep voice. My dad's got a really deep voice. My Barry Madden, like kind of that kind of deep. I've I've got, got a really deep voice. I tell you, my voice went from here to here. And I just went, Sarah! And I screamed for my wife. Sarah comes running into the room and I'm frantically looking for a tiny little bit of plumbing that has shot out of that valve. Because if I don't get that in, 
then the whole system is going to keep coming out of this radio and fill my house filled with dirty black water. Dining room was already shot, already disgusting and horrible. So I'm freaking out. I'm screaming. It's like I've gone back to being 13. My voice is breaking. I'm screaming. Sarah comes into the dining room. First thing she does is laugh. She just thinks the whole scene is hilarious. Meanwhile, I've opened the front window. Water, little buckets. I'm throwing water out the front window, frantically trying to get ahead of this radiator. It's not working. I said, Sarah, if we don't get this little thing, I can't find it. If I don't find it, this stuff is never going to stop. It's just going to keep coming out. So we're looking around, and eventually, I stopped. And I went, Lord, I can't find it. I cannot find this little bit of plumbing that I need. Please stop the water. And I turned the valves and they clicked one more click and the water stopped. I'm sat there covered in black, filthy water. It's disgusting. My wife is laughing. Front window is open. I'm throwing water out. It's an absolute chaos. I go into the other room where the boiler or the furnace is because I needed to switch that off. I get up on and I burnt my thumb on the furnace. So now I've got a burnt thumb. I'm disgusting and black, I'm just black water and it's gross. I go back in. I realized that I'd sliced my hand. So now I've got blood, burnt thumb. And then I knelt by the radiator, put my hand, this is true. My wife's laughing right now. I know she is. I knelt down by the radiator, put my arm on top of it, blood, black water, burnt thumb and I put my arm on a wasp that had landed on top of the radiator and stung my arm. I'm freaking out. Like, I cannot believe it. All because I couldn't find that little thing that had shot out of the radiator. So what's the principle? The principle is this. What I needed was not found on the inside. You know why? Because it was in the first bucket of water that I'd thrown out onto my front lawn. It was on the outside. The little bit I found on the grass outside. See, I'm looking for the happening to change. I'm looking for something on the inside when all the time the answer was on the outside. Something completely different. Something that wasn't chaotic. Something that was sure. Something that I needed while all the time I'm looking for something that actually wasn't to be found. The principle of that is that, listen, it might feel that your life is filling up with water. It might feel like there's chaos. It might feel like it's disgusting and horrible and there's no real answer. It might feel like you've been burnt, you've been cut, you've been hurt, that things just keep layer on top of one another all the time, like stinging by the wasp. Like, are you kidding me? Something else? And you're looking for an answer on the inside that isn't there. Because all the time Jesus is saying, look, it's not inside out where the answer is. You are not sufficient. It's outside in. It's Jesus coming into your life, radically changing your life. You being transformed. And you actually having the heart to be able to deal with the stuff that happens in life. It's outside in. We need to search for that. And it starts with realizing you are not enough that poverty of spirit it's not about you and what you can do it's about what Jesus has done on the cross it's about being reliant on him it's about being found founded on him it's about being sure of him following him that outside divine influence that promises to fill us anyway it's about him do you have that or you're frantically searching around your life to try and deal with the issue that never stops coming 
Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that Jesus is the one that he needs to be reliant on him. Okay, let's go a bit quicker. Number two. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are those who mourn. What does this word mean, mourn? It's actually a relational word. It means blessed are those who stand with one another, who are connected with other people, who give their lives to other people. That Jesus has forgiven us of so much that we want to go into the world and we want to give, we want to serve, we want to listen, we want to pray for, we want to be alongside with. It's not isolating, and I know that's important right now, social isolation everything, but it's not isolating ourselves. It's reaching out and looking for ways that we can comfort one another, and in that you will be comforted. In that you will be blessed. In that you will be happy. And can I say, I've been so blessed by the way that people at Willow Park Church continually give themselves over to being generous. You know, the, the metro drive, the, the little gifts, the, the thoughtfulness that is going on in our church is so beautiful. You're blessed. You're blessed and happy because you do it so. Blessed are those who give their lives to others, who will stand with those, who will open up their homes, open up their lives, as well as open up their Bibles. We need to do that for us as a Christian community. Look for ways that we can bless one another. And in that, there will be blessing. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This word is not a popular word. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We read that and we go, I don't want to be meek. Because that just sounds weak. It's almost like, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody else. You know, it's that kind of timid. That is not what this word means. This word meek is a powerful, powerful word. But it's countercultural. Because in our culture, for you to inherit the earth, you've got to be powerful. And by inherit the earth, mean gain riches. For you to gain in life, you need to be powerful, is what our culture would say. You need to be influential. You need to be pointing at your own success, so full of pride. You need to be influential and, and, and popular. These are ways that you get to inherit the earth. Jesus is saying, no, actually, it's countercultural. If you want to truly be blessed, if you truly want to uh, be glorified by God himself, then you need to become meek. And Jesus himself said, I am meek and humble of heart. And yet Jesus is the most powerful human that's ever walked this planet. So what does this word meek mean actually it comes from it's used often when it comes to war horses these powerful horses that have been trained and reined in it's it's like they have power they have significance they have a presence and yet they're subservient they're under authority it's strength under authority that's what the word meek means strength under authority and that's what Jesus had He said, I'm meek and I'm humble. And yet he had the strength to endure the greatest of physical pain and the greatest of spiritual and emotional pain on the cross. He had tremendous strength and power. And yet he held it back. Why? Because he put other people first. So when he was under intense criticism, he didn't lash out. That's strength under authority. That's meekness. And you shall inherit the earth. When he, was, when he was accused wrongly, and this may be a word for some of you, when he was accused wrongly, he stayed silent. It's strength under authority. He didn't need 
to speak out. He didn't need to defend himself. He was meek and he will inherit the earth. He endured under intense wrong, strength under authority. I wonder for you in your life right now, you might be experiencing something when you're just trying to figure out how you can get back, how you can get some revenge, how you can right the wrong, how you can justify yourself and show that actually you're innocent, whatever it might be. Can I just encourage you that there are days when you just need to stand and be silent? That's meek. That's significant. That's powerful. That's power under authority. That's putting trust in God first. Which is where we come to the final one that we're going to look at today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That when you are under authority, when you are standing with other people, and blessed are those who mourn, if you are recognizing you need God and you're poor in spirit without Him, when you place Him first, you're blessed. Those who seek righteousness, not only seek, but hunger and thirst. I live in a house that seems to be perpetually hungry and thirsty because I've got two young men who, uh, my two boys, 21 and, and almost 15, they just, they just like inhale food. Like it's incredible how much food that those two can eat. And it's incredible how much food I can eat as well if I, if I set my mind to it. But that feeling of hunger, do we have that same energy towards reaching out for God? Do we have that same energy and focus for seeking God first? Because the promise will be satisfaction, contentment, happiness. Do we look at that as a principle? If you want to be happy, if you want to be satisfied, you want to be content, put God first in your life today. Put down other things, walk away from other activities, and focus and place your attention on Him and His Word. And as you do so, as you seek him, you'll find that your hunger for him increases because you'll get more and more satisfaction. You know, Pastor Phil's been talking a lot about the the meditation course. Have you done that yet? Because that whole uh, um, beautiful principle and discipline of meditation gets you closer to God because it's hunger and thirst after him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. There's nothing like experiencing hunger. It consumes our thinking. You will only be satisfied by God himself. You will only be satisfied by filling your life with God himself. How do I know that? Solomon, who was arguably the richest, most successful person in the Bible, he said this, God has put eternity into man's heart in Ecclesiastes 3.11. You have something inside each each of you, you have something inside of you that is so eternal, so incredible, so ultimate, that trying to fill that need of happiness with money and possessions and relationships or whatever else it might be in life, success, ambition, you are always going to fail because you are too incredible for you to be filled and satisfied by that. You will only be satisfied and content in Christ himself. You are that incredible. You are that amazing. And to look at anything else, you're never going to get there. You're never going to feel happy. You've been created to hunger and thirst after God himself. So as we come to an end, it causes two questions in my mind. The first question is this. The happiest person that has ever walked this planet, called Jesus Christ, said for you to be truly happy, you have to have right relationship with God. 
Where are you with that? Have you received Jesus as your Savior in your life? Have you submitted to him and recognized that you have a desperate need for him and you've cried out for forgiveness from him and had him flood into your life and change you? If you haven't had that, then now is the time for that. Now is the time to sign up for the Alpha Course. Now is the time to hear Pastor Phil as he prays and, and, and lead you in that direction. Now is the time. Today is the day for salvation. And then Christian friend, this causes me a question for you as well. Do you orient your life on seeking to be satisfied by God alone? Or are you still being self-reliant on your own abilities and your own riches? Because as we humble ourselves before him and respond to the gospel that is so beautifully presented by God and Jesus himself on the Sermon on the Mount, then the promise is this, you will be blessed. You'll be happy. You will be favored. You will be satisfied. You will inherit. You will be glorified in a beautiful way. All those things that you seek will be added to you if you put God first. Amen. What a powerful message of Pastor Glenn. I love listening to Glenn preach and I love the way that he highlights scripture and speaks the truth about how we can find true blessing in our lives. But maybe you're sat there and you're feeling a little bit blue. You're feeling the grief of this time. You're feeling the pressure of the pandemic or maybe you feel the conviction of God that you need to get right with God or get some prayer or there are problems in your life. Right now, a number is appearing on your screen. And if you call that number, you will be able to reach somebody, one of our prayer team, one of our elders, and they will pray with you about the issues that you're facing. Don't be alone in the problems that you're going through. As Glenn highlighted, we can be happy, but it's not a weak happiness, it's a deep happiness that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. What a challenge that was. But call, get some prayer, connect with us, because this is so important that you realize that God loves to answer prayer. And that he is with his children and he's for us. Now, can I ask you something? Please join me for Willow One Prayer. Go and find your God spot. The place where you like to sit alone or with members of your family. And for one hour on Monday evening, we will be praying about the future of our church. We know that the government have said we can have acts of worship, but with groups of 50 and below. We know that many people are staying online for safety reasons. They're vulnerable. We know that we are living in uncertain times. And this Willow One prayer is devoted to asking a number of questions. One, what is God doing in your life? Two, what is God preparing Willow Park Church for? And how are we going to adapt and change? And three, praying blessing on the ministry that we're already doing. So those are the areas. And I've approached it with just me to the screen and Curtis doing worship so that we can work together and pray through these issues together. There'll be times of silence where you can just pray about the issues. There'll be times where you can journal. So make sure you've got your journal or your, and your Bible 
uh, a pen and a piece of paper. She can participate in the process of listening to what God is saying to us at this time and praying for our church, all the campuses. And we need you all to step in and to pray. This is a significant moment before things change as we shift through the different stages and the church needs to be ready and we need to hear God's voice. I need your prayers. Glenn and the campus pastors need your prayers. The staff need your prayers. So join us for that. Well, we, um, we enjoyed the English blessing. And thank you. Your lovely comments about that. Well, of course, Canada has now produced the blessing as well. Awesome. So let's pray for Canada. And as we finish our time together, remember, pray for your nation that God will be with us at this time and enjoy the Canadian blessing now. And please phone if you need prayer. We are here for you. Ah! Uh-huh.
and your family and your children and their children and their children his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening in the car Oh 